pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. 水煮肉片. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Hola, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And my guest today generally looks like the happiest, badass person that I know. She's a cook, a recipe developer, cookbook author, and Caesar salad enthusiast with a lifelong love of cooking, eating, and teaching others. She has contributed for Bon Appetit, and most recently she released a cookbook, Cook This Book, Techniques That Teach and recipes to repeat. We both have something in common. We don't like to eat breakfast straight away after waking up. First, we have to let the coffee marinate a little bit. And then, yes, eat a meal. Molly Baz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Very was, lovely. Was, was that bad? Was someone calling you a happy badass in the morning? No, okay? I love that. Happy badass. <laughs> I would gladly be described that way forevermore. How are you today? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be chatting with you. I'm excited as well. So two important questions. Have you ever been to Portugal? I have. Um, oh, I went you. to Portugal um, on my honeymoon, which was actually like a year after we got married, but we went for like three weeks, Okay. Um, fell completely in love and um, have since then talked about like basically every time we think about where our next vacation is it involves like how do we get back to Portugal um we drove like up and down the coast um and stopped in a lot of different towns and cities and it is just the best place ever see and I didn't even say anything for you to say that thank you, you very didn't much. have to prompt it I didn't have to prompt it so three weeks there did you learn any Portuguese words um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, shoot. It was like four years ago. So I definitely did learn some words um, and I cannot remember any of them. It's okay. Uh, if you had to <laughs> choose a word, would you like to learn right now on the spot? Which one would you like to learn? Yeah. Uh, tuna. Atun. Atun. I knew that actually. That, okay. Another one. Another one. Um, how would you say Caesar salad? Uh, salada Caesar. So that's not very oh. Yeah. Sorry, Molly. Okay. Not, this okay. game is not working um, well. Very well. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, how do you say happy badass? Oh. Um, <laughs> that should be more interesting. Oh, I'm trying to see, like, how would you say badass in Portuguese? Um, well, happy is fleas or alegre, Please. one of the two. Now, the badass part, that's difficult because we don't have anything that I can think. Because actually, we would say someone... But you would say the English words badass. Okay. I say, I'll marinate on that one. I have to think about it. How would you say badass? Okay. Okay. So now, see, now you got me. Um, okay. There you go. <laughs> growing up, what was something that the younger Molly was making that people loved, and who inspired you to start cooking? Um, I'm trying to think what my like first dish that I used to make was. I remember there was actually a recipe um, that I think I cut out of the New York Times. Um, dining section when I was, I don't know, like 16 or something that was a fresh tomato pasta. It was like cherry tomatoes um, with, I, I want to say angel hair, which kind of um, is a, I want to say angel hair, which um, is maybe now my least favorite pasta shape or long strand pasta shape. Um, but it was like, first cherry tomatoes and then you made this like gremolata with 
lots of chopped parsley and garlic and lemon zest. And you would toss that through at the end with the hot tomato sauce. Um, and I remember being like, this is such a banger. And anytime anyone comes over, I'm going to make this because like, this is the impressed dish. Um, but I completely forgot about it until you just asked me. Um, so I think that was maybe one of the first things that I kind of was like, this is my go-to. My mom, she, because you said angel hair pasta. So basically she does for Christmas, imagine a rice pudding, replace the rice for angel hair pasta. Okay. See, I can get down with that because the very nature of a rice pudding is like a mushy texture. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like you lean into that. Whereas like angel hair as like a pasta, just like is already like, can't be al dente. And it's kind of like, I just feel like it, it becomes, it just like soaks everything up too. There's too much surface area on angel hair, yeah. just like soaks everything up. And like, it just becomes like a, a mouthful of mush, but in a pudding, like that's what you're looking for. Nobody ate it that sounds thing. Delicious. Only her, nobody ate that thing, but you know, she, every oh, really? single, no, <laughs> nobody, she was not a great cook. So nobody tried to, ex- try to experiment that, but for like years and years, that's the only thing she does for Christmas. It's that angel hair thing. And she eats the whole tray. Hey. I mean, oh my what? god! I think it sounds awesome. It reminds me kind of of like noodle kugel, the like Jewish noodle pudding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you studied abroad actually in Florence. What was the biggest difference right away when you? I mean, the obvious ones, but especially when it comes to food, that you went there and you were like, "Oh wow, okay, yeah, we were doing something completely wrong." My experience in Italy, living in Florence, was pretty eye-opening from like an ingredient sourcing perspective. You know, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York in the Hudson Valley, and our local grocery store was the IGA, um, which may not mean anything to you, but like if you grew up in a small town, maybe it does. Um, and it was just a very standard grocery store, nothing special, nothing um particularly no like particularly fine foods or well-sourced ingredients and I don't really remember going to a farmer's market much growing up either I started going to a farmer's market only like in my college years when one opened up in our town and so the difference for me was the quality of the ingredients and the way that people shopped like my parents would go to the grocery store, I don't know, on a Sunday and like stock up. And then we probably wouldn't go back to the grocery store for another three or four days. Uh, But when I was living in Italy with this little lady, Graziella, who was my homestay grandmother, um, she would go to the market every single day. And she never thought beyond that day. Like it was like, grab the ingredients for the day, see what inspires you come home, cook through them and then go again the next day. There wasn't this like meal prep strategy that like we all do in America here. And um, I think that was a a very noticeable difference for me in the kind of like culture of shopping um, and, and eating and cooking. But don't you think it's a cultural thing? Uh, one of the things I make fun of Americans is, and I've been living, I actually been living here for 10 years now. It's going to be 10 years this month. You plan everything. Like even to hang totally. out, everything is a, that's why I always make a joke. If you tell uh, an American three hours without doing anything, they collapse. They have a heart attack because everything is planned. Yeah. Do you think Definitely. It was always like this for you also growing up. Why, why do you think that is? Why are people just obsessed with planning in this country? I think that planning kind of um, dovetails with efficiency and productivity and, and and Americans are so um, are so driven by like productivity and getting as much done in as little amount of time and like work hard, play hard. And I feel like planning goes hand in hand with that. If you don't plan, there's like 
more sort of like downtime or time that's like maybe not particularly well spent. It's not the part of our culture that's most important to me um, or that I admire much because whenever <laughs> I go to Europe, I'm like, this is, you know, this is how to live. It's like you live day to day, moment to moment. Did you notice that, that when you were in Portugal? Included. That people totally. are much more laid back at the time. It's like, whatever. If a store opens yes. at 9.30 instead of 9, who cares? Yeah, people don't open storefronts on time. It's like yes. this, the hours, the store hours don't mean anything. Like that is such a novel idea to me. If, if I walked to a restaurant or like a coffee shop here and it said that the hours were nine to six and it was 9.30 and they weren't open, I'd be livid about it. I'd be like, That's this is so right fucked now. up. Of like, <laughs> yeah, I came here because I thought you were going to be open. And then in, and like, if I, in Portugal, I'd be like, that's so charming. They're having a late <laughs> breakfast, you know? Yeah. It's just your mindset, just different. right? Yeah. And you're, yeah. Mentioning, you're mentioning that thing about uh, not cooking for the week or not planning for the week. It's not going to be a podcast about my mom, but you know, that's a reference I have. She like yeah. leaves the house to buy one mango. I was like, really, mom? Totally. I mean, can we just we buy three mangoes? Yeah, no, no, one mango. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. maybe a couple other things while you're at it, like, so we don't just, have to go back three hours later. She cannot. Yeah, same thing. But anyway, um, where does this passion for Caesar salad come from? What was the day that you ate the first time you ate a Caesar salad? You're like, yes. I do not know. And actually, <laughs> interestingly, no one's ever asked me that before, which Thank seems you. like an obvious question. I cannot recall the first Caesar salad I ever had. And I don't really know where it, the love of Caesar salad began. It's just it, like, when I look back, I'm just like, it's always been there with me. Like mm -hmm. I've just always, once I, once I like came into my own as an eater, like Caesar salad was there for me and there with me forevermore. And I've eaten probably, I don't know, 10,000 Caesar salads. <laughs> um, but I don't, I really don't know. There wasn't like a moment where I was like, at a restaurant and someone like made a table side Caesar. And I was like, this is the salad for yeah. me. You know, like it wasn't dramatic like that. It's just like, it was in my, it's been in my blood. What you never, what do you should never put on a Caesar salad? Um, like grilled chicken. I, I think a Caesar salad is kind of perfect, like as it is. Yeah. And I don't love when, when there's like, you know, when they, when people add like fish or shrimp or chicken or whatever, like I want those things separate. Like I love grilled chicken, maybe put it on the side, but like, don't put hot chicken on top of my really crisp, cold romaine. because you're kind of ruining it. And you, I mean, you are the PhD of Caesar salad. So whatever you say from now on, you know, I believe that uh, you don't, do you Thank chop you. your Caesar salad <laughs> or you just leave like those small leaves just to do the, the job? My favorite version of a Caesar is made with little gem lettuces. Um, and so I usually will tear them in half, but they're small already, you know, but it's not chopped. Like I like a, a I'm either cut in half or torn in half, like large ish leaf, because I like for the like cup of the leaf to be able to like cradle a crouton and kind of like make a bite. So you're already planning the whole thing. I like that. See, it's a whole planning. Yeah, I like that. I, thought, yeah. I mean, I think about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so cook this book. That's the book, the inspiration for the book. Um, the inspiration came from within my soul. Um, it was, uh, I, I was approached by an editor at my publisher, Clarkson Potter, about writing a book. I had no idea what my book was going to be. Like I wasn't, I wasn't planning to write a book this early in my career when at, at this time, um, I thought, you know, three or four years, I'll start thinking about what my first cookbook might be. But then when I was approached by this editor, it kind of like lit a fire under me. And I, and I started to think like, well, if I were to write a book, what the hell would I write about? And it, it, it's like, there's, 
it, the possibilities are limitless. Like it's so vast. Cooking is so vast. Eating is so vast. There's so much to say. There's so much to learn. And um, the thing that's that like I really have focused my career on is teaching people. It's not about like just putting yummy food out in the world for yumminess's sake. It's about like really giving people the yeah. skills that they need and like instilling the importance of good technique in home cooks in order um, in order to be able to like have confidence in the kitchen and not rely so heavily on recipes. And so ironically, this is a book of like very strictly and and particularly written recipes with a lot of information packed in them. It's a lot of like answering questions that I think um, the novice home cook might have as they cook through any particular recipe, because I want to equip, equip them with knowledge. Um, and I feel like a lot of cookbooks or a lot of recipes are kind of, are, are just like a compilation of delicious recipes, but they don't like serve the reader beyond the recipes. And so I really, really wanted my reader to like walk away from cooking through this book with like a newfound confidence in the kitchen because I taught them a lot of what I know as a professional cook. Does it surprise you the small things that people don't know when it comes to cooking? Like, because I think Americans love to eat, but just a small, because I teach classes as well. And that's one of the things from the very early stage, I would be like, really? And you cannot, it's not a judging thing. It's just, there are some fundamentals that is just already in us, right? That is just so normal. Does that surprise yeah. you that the lack of, I don't know, not information, but. Um, it doesn't surprise me anymore because I've spent my career thinking about home cooks. Um, like I, I day in and day out, I'm just putting myself in the mindset of a novice cook and thinking like strip all the information that I already have away. Like what, what are the things that when I first started cooking, um, would have been a challenge for me or a question mark for me. Um, so it is sort of like what I've devoted my career to is like being in the mind of a home cook. And, and so I'm no longer really surprised by the things that seem to have gone over people's heads or like were never a part of like their upbringing. Um, but it's always like weird little things like, you know, some, I feel like they're, what I tried to do with this book is like pick out all the little details that like maybe were missed along the way, because it's not just like how to chop an onion like that that is something that is a fun, fundamental technique that a lot of people don't know, but it, there's a, often like a lot of other questions that you're just like, Oh, of course, that's not something, you know, like, why would you know that you didn't go to cooking school? And so like this book really tried to answer all of those questions and not just the obvious ones. If you could choose one appetizer, one main course and one dessert from the book. Okay. I would make the shrimp cocktail with dilly horseradish cream. Um, I would make the piri piri-ish roast chicken, which is a, a whole roast chicken that cooks for like two and a half to three hours at a really low temperature. And it gets rubbed in like a piri piri kind of chili garlic sauce with potatoes underneath it. The potatoes sort of confit and all the schmaltzy fat. And then you serve it with aioli. Um, and it's just one of those I things where time just like does uh, wonders for the dish. Um, so that one. would probably be the main course. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, and then 
Well, I might serve a side as well. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Let's do, let's do full American. What's the sides? <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I've been really into this recipe for charred leeks and burrata with walnut banya cauda. I'm showing you here. The listeners mm-hmm. obviously can't yeah. see. Um, I'm a huge banya cauda fan. And that is because, and for those of you who don't know, it's a dish of like slowly cooked or like fried basically garlic and anchovies it's kind of because it's caesar-ish mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. it's cooked mm-hmm. caesar it's like another way to eat caesar dressing but like make it cooked um and like transform the ingredients slightly so you char like whole leeks um and they get blackened on the bottom and then it gets served with this banya cauda with walnuts and burrata and that's a really delicious um actually kind of like sleeper hit i feel like people haven't really made that dish and from what i'm seeing on social media um and so you better start making that yeah so you guys better start making it yeah. and then for dessert the grapefruit olive oil cake would probably be I love the one I love an olive oil cake. I think there's something like so beautiful about its simplicity and its richness. Um, and so, and I, I'm just like a big loaf cake person. I don't really care for like layer cakes or I don't have the time or just, or passion for them. I guess loaf cakes. I love just like a dump and stir situation. And there's a grapefruit olive oil cake in the book. And there's also a brown butter and labina banana bread cake situation and they're both so good i i I like just a slice of cake for dessert that's it don't give me anything else just a slice of cake i like that yes just don't overthink it yeah yeah the interest for food has boomed so much last year's and you know you worked you know for bon appetit and a lot of creation a lot of recipe creation and all of that And, and social media of course was a big help do you think that will be a saturation point or the more the better i don't think so because food is so central to what we every human or almost all humans do and think about every day you know like it it's not something that can really like go out of fashion because you need to eat to survive and also lucky for us food is delicious um and so sometimes people ask me like how are there this many recipes in the world? Is there a moment where there just will be no possible new recipes? Won't, won't the world just max out and every recipe and every possible idea will already be out there? And the answer is no, because even if there is like every possible combination of ingredients out there, you can always like rework the ingredients and rework the ratios of ingredients to tip things in different directions. So recipes are kind of like infinitely riffable. And so, and I think that's kind of the joy of the saturation is, is the challenge of how, what can I bring new to the table when there is so much out there and it's hard, it's not easy. A lot of things have been done, but that's a, a, a particular challenge as a recipe developer that I find really gratifying to overcome. You said before that you believe that culinary school is not necessarily if you are willing to work really hard in restaurants. Why is that? I think the education in restaurants, working in a kitchen or on the line in a professional kitchen is um, just as good, if not better than the education you would get in a culinary school. And, And it's just on a different timeline and it's on a different budget. I just didn't have the money or means or want to pursue after going to college, spending another, I don't know how much, 10 or 20,000 dollars on culinary school. And so I just started working in kitchens 
And I, you have to learn fast in a professional kitchen. You got to keep up. There's, there are cooks who are more efficient than you are and you'll get, you'll get eaten alive if you don't. And so I think the pressure of a restaurant kitchen really, and the demand of it, like really asks that you rise to the, the occasion. And I learned so much in my first few years working in restaurants that ultimately I realized I, I didn't need to go to culinary school. Yeah. That said, like not everybody learns that way. I don't think it's necessary. It wasn't necessary for me, but some people are not great under pressure. And if you're not, if you're not someone who can handle pressure, I think culinary school where things are a little bit more systematic, you know what to expect every day walking into class. I just kind of thrive under pressure. So shifting the conversation a little bit, choose an island you really like. Is there an island you love? An island, sure. Really, I really love Menorca. Perfect. So the island is just for you, for your husband, for tuna, your dog, okay? So mm -hmm. you can take one protein, one vegetable, one fruit, and one dessert. What do you take to that island? Can I also source what's like locally available on the island? Molly, the island no. is deserts. There's oh, no it's shop. a desert island. Well, I mean, desert, <laughs> in a way, there's nobody there. I mean, now, if you tell oh, me, like, there's oh. some coconut trees there, the, I'm, I'm having to dig in so much in Menorca what they have. I apologize. I didn't know that's going okay, to be Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you mean a deserted island? Because I was going to say, like, I recall this really amazing octopus restaurant that served octopus in Menorca. And if I were being... If I were stranded in Menorca, I'd probably go find the fishermen who provided the octopus no. to this restaurant. Sorry, sorry okay, so there's no fishermen around. There's no okay. one. Okay, and, and give me the list again. So one protein. We can start with the protein. Which one would you take? Eggs. Okay. Does that count? That's <laughs> of course. Protein. Yeah, of course. Um, vegetable. God, this is so Jeez. hard. Oh my God. Just hang up. It's okay. We, I'm just... so stressed. I mean, <laughs> I want to say, I want to say I would bring little gems because now I'm thinking if I have eggs, I can fashion some kind of a Caesar dressing, but then I can also just like eat the eggs cooked for breakfast. So I could have eggs for breakfast and then Caesar salad for lunch. That she's feels getting, like a pretty good she's life. She's getting to very me. stressed out. Okay. So <laughs> a fruit. A fruit. I think a Cara Cara orange. Okay. Yeah, and a dessert. A dessert. The olive oil cake. Oh God, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think that would be it. Wow, that is like I can't even imagine what it would be like to just have like unlimited dessert on a deserted <laughs> island. <laughs> That's why a lot of people. But it might cream. be ice cream. Yeah. I, I think like it's hot as fuck out there <laughs> and I really, really like cookies and cream ice cream like okay. too much. Um, so I think I would maybe have cookies and cream ice cream. Okay. Love it. What was your first memory of taste? I don't know. I don't, I can't recall <laughs> it. Okay. There's two, <laughs> no, ways can, I mean, there's two ways you can answer this. Sorry. You can answer okay. Um, so for me, I always give these two examples. I remember being very, very, very young. And my mom, she always gave me like mashed banana with a squeeze of orange juice and sugar. And that was like a snack. Mm. I remember that. <laughs> and I remember when I was nine, I had like a roast beef ish. And I remember the first time I ate that, I was like, wow, that's flavor. So you can answer, you know, these two different ways, if that mm -hmm. helps at all for you. This is going to be such a weird answer. Um, there's no such thing. But I have a very vivid taste memory. I wonder, like my parents, are, my dad's like going to get in trouble for this. When I was little, <laughs> like not, not super little, like maybe when I was like, I don't know, 10, my dad used to drink Rolling Rock beer. 
just the <laughs> brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like loved the taste of it. I think, I guess like he like had me try it one day because I was like curious and he like let me take a, take a sip. And I was like, I love the way this tastes. And, but he was like, you can't drink like you're a child. And they would make me drink milk, like a glass of whole milk or 2% milk with dinner every night. I don't know. I feel like that's what all kids have to drink. I always had to get a glass of milk down before I was excused from the table. And so my dad would put like a (laughs) teaspoon of rolling rock in my milk. Wow. Okay. And so that it was like flavored with beer. Mm -hmm. And then I would drink my milk. And that is like, now that I am saying it so disgusting, I can't even like beer and milk is like maybe the most disgusting combination I've ever heard. That's a great answer. But um, it's very vivid to me. And it was like part of like how they got me to drink milk. And it was sort of like my beverage of choice every night was milk with a splash of beer. I love that. Most underrated ingredients. (laughs) (laughs) Underrated. Um, I feel like no ingredient. Oh, I know. Sunchokes. Okay. You know, Jerusalem artichokes, Mm -hmm. people hate those or people like don't get it, but I love their flavor. And I love what happens when they get like caramelized on the outside and really like soft on the inside. They're not as starchy as a potato, Um, but I just feel like they don't get any love in America. Um, And you can't really find them at supermarkets. You sometimes see them at Whole Foods, but they, if I see sunchokes, like there's no world in which I'm not picking them up whenever I see them. They're pretty good. Overrated ingredient overrated um i mean in my opinion chocolate i don't care for the stuff people freak out everyone's like you're not a woman if you don't like chocolate what's wrong with you are you an alien you're not a human and i just don't like chocolate and i feel like everybody's making a big deal about it this friendship was going well, Molly, until now, but it's okay. Until What's, now. See, yeah. this exactly. That's the exact reaction I get. Like, we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we can still be friends. Okay. What's the best breakfast you can have? Ooh, um, it can go a couple of different ways. One way that we eat breakfast a lot, which actually my husband just texted me and was like, should we make a crunch wrap, which is a flour tortilla that gets slathered in um, garlicky sour cream on the inside, layered in dill pickles, and then scrambled eggs and dill on top. And then you wrap it up and you crisp it in the skillet that the eggs were cooked in and the outsides get all crispy in the inside. Oh, and sriracha. Sorry, it gets drizzled sriracha. It's, I don't, just you have to make it. That sounds very good, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the something about the pickles and the, eggs together inside with the like garlicky sauce is just so good so that's like one of our go-to breakfasts the other thing that I make a lot is just jammy eggs with some kind of like yummy spiced nutty butter situation on top so there's a recipe in the book for jammy eggs with brown buttered nuts and I'll just fry some nuts, some like chopped nuts out in some oil or butter and add some garlic and some spices and spoon that over jammy eggs with a little bit of vinegar. And I love that. Perfect. What is eggs. This? Like it's always eggs. Eggs, always eggs. What's it? Yeah, that's something I still cannot do for breakfast. You, you can't? 
it's not a i think it's a cultural thing you know in portugal it's very difficult to find i mean things nowadays are changing people of the brand situation just arrived in portugal yeah, so, yeah, yeah you know a year and a half ago but eggs for me it's rough um i mean i can eat sometimes but it's a little rough i love a good i remember my mom was here visiting we were eating biscuits and gravy and she mm. was looking at me like two people she was whispering to me i mean she was speaking Portuguese. nobody else understood but she was like do people eat eat this at 8 a.m i was like yeah pretty that that for her is very foreigner she could have that probably for lunch but never for a breakfast we're more like the toast yeah. and the coffee people but uh, we're boring for breakfast what is the strangest combination food wise some people might do when they put two or three ingredients together that you just cannot accept and something that you do that people will be like really molly is that happening strangest combination i mean i don't think this is that strange but um i just really don't care for fruit in salads like i just don't understand aside from like a nice crispy like apple crisp apple like i don't understand why people would throw raspberries or strawberries in a salad um it's just fruit in savory food for me just doesn't make sense most fruits So it, that's just something that I just can't really get behind. Something that I put together that people might, I mean, maybe this is a cop-out of an answer, but putting salt in my beverages makes people feel funny. Putting salt on my cereal in the morning makes people feel funny. Ah. And cereal in milk with salt is so good. Like you cannot knock it till you try it. Okay. Milk's not seasoned. Cereal is usually not very well seasoned. It's pretty kind of like neutral, dry. When you add a little salt to the mixture, all of a sudden the milk starts to taste like something. The cereal gets a little pop. It's just, it's not salty. It's just, it's seasoned. Okay. I've been saying this here for a month. And since you said cereal, I will, I will share with you my, one of the strangest things I do. I always microwave my cereal. I'm sorry. You make it hot like no hot okay mushy. see no ella ellen bennett said the same thing the <laughs> other day oh so it's like boiling hot it's not it's uh, milk cereal 30 seconds always like it's so not basically even... lukewarm yeah it's just to break a little bit that super super cold milk because i can't i always had sensitive teeth growing up so i think that's kind of stays in your brain like if there's no microwave i'll never eat the cereal in my life i'm not joking I am the opposite in that if my milk is not ice cold, like right out of the fridge, I will not eat the cereal. I lukewarm cereal is my nightmare. I'm sorry, Molly. I'm sorry. Uh, just, just go Again, back. Again, our friendship is really going <laughs> south really good, today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so just to touch a little bit on the point you said about fruit with salad. So imagine that you are, I don't know, somewhere and you order a Caesar, like, oh, a Caesar. Um, oh I don't God. know. Imagine you're in Albania not. and you could not read what was there, but you kind of like Caesar and there was like some blueberries on top. Oh my God. Stop. <laughs> no, I would, I would set it aside and say, I'll take the check. Thank you. The name of the Come podcast on. is turning chickens and breaking dishes. Those are actually two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? in my like in my own mind or in the people's mind i mean you can say your own mind right uh, what do you, um, think, do you think the answer is different mm, someone who has a lot of experience and someone who's exceeding expectations mm -hmm. i feel like they're kind of happening like hand in hand i don't know 
I'm exceeding my own expectations. I would say, I don't think I'm exceeding people's expectations. I think people have a good grasp on like who I am and what I do. And every time I come out with something new, they expect that that's what I'm going to do. It's part of my career, exceeding my own expectations, I guess, in the sense of uh, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, how did I get here? Like I look at this book and I'm just did is that me on the cover did I really write that like wake up is this really happening um so I guess I've exceeded my own expectations or the expectations that I had for myself you know when I was little and of course like I'm a little jaded now that like I'm in in this career path and I'm doing it but I do have these moments these moments where I kind of wake up and I and I like can't really believe where what what I have done like how did I write a book you know yeah um so I I guess yeah I guess that at the end of the podcast I tell my guests to sell their fish that's a Portuguese phrase as well sell your fish means to talk about yourself what's in the future for you you know the book just came out at the end of April I know you have a Patreon as well you know so just just sell your fish Molly okay so the the big plans I guess for the next couple year to a couple of years are have a TV show. So been working on some concepts there. Cannot say any more than that. Have a podcast. So maybe someday you'll be a guest on mine. Thank you. Write another book and keep getting my aprons into the homes of home cooks everywhere. Those are like my big picture goals. Um, And there's lots of stuff underway. None of it is like signed, sealed, delivered yet. And it's a lot to take on. So I'm trying to figure out what the pace of it all should be but those are sort of the things i'm looking to um, in this next phase and people yeah your your merch is very good it's very vibrant colors right yes Uh, it's people but it's in paris right they have a studio in paris since the people that work with you is it something like that yeah they um vlan and jeremy are the graphic designers who designed the whole book and and all of the merch is is drawn from designs from the book and they have a type foundry design studio in paris they're amazing before you go, so breakfast is coming, I think, right? You're eating breakfast. I was going to ask what's for lunch, but it's going to be breakfast instead. Um, lunch will probably be fish and chips because I am okay. working on a recipe for an interpretation of fish and chips, which is fish with potato chips because I don't feel like anyone has the bandwidth to be frying French fries and frying chips at the same time. So it's focusing on frying the fish making the yummy, crispy beer, battered fish, and then taking store-bought potato chips and judging them up and making them more interesting than they were straight out of the bag. And that's sort of like my interpretation for this dish that I'm going to be working on later today. So I'll probably have a late afternoon fish and chips lunch. Perfect. Molly, this was a pleasure. You were one of those Thank people you. I was eyeing for 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 a while to have it on the podcast. So I was really really happy you came here. Our friendship, I think, it's better now. It ended on a better note. I'm not, I will yeah. not think about the rest what we said here. And all the best for you. And you know, just say hi to Tuna. And that's it. I will. Thank, Thank you. you very much. I still don't so know how to say badass in Portuguese. Me. I'll let you know later. I don't know. Please get will. back to me on that. I will. I will. Maybe uh, that'll be. Um, Maybe that'll be the the name of my next book. If it gets translated into Portuguese, we'll yes. call it Happy Badass. I love it. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Take Thank care. You. Thank you, Molly, for coming on the podcast. This was a pleasure. Our friendship is much better now, so you guys shouldn't worry about it. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Things change a little bit. So right now there's only one account. It's called David G. Martin's Chef. 
The same thing for Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at David Pods, David with an E and P-O-D. Check also the anchor.fm slash dmartins for the podcast. Subscribe where you find all your podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of that. This was a pleasure. Season two of the podcast is coming to an end. So we're going to have a few more episodes. Don't be sad, you know, hang in there. I want you to enjoy, enjoy the summer without listening to my voice. But more news are to come, you know, more and more exciting news in the future. So just stay tuned all the time. Be safe. Be happy. I'll see you next week. Adios. <laughs>